coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Live Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. We're going to take it a little bit of a different direction because I found something else to abuse myself with lately uh, with the help of an amazing guy that you guys are about to meet. So tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? How you doing? Uh, my name is Ricky Rout. I am a jiu-jitsu coach by profession. I've been training for about 13 years, teaching professionally for about seven and for the past couple of years, I've been skydiving. Nice, nice. Ricky Route, dude. That is the perfect fucking name for a fighter. Thank you, man. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the perfect name. Like, as soon as I knew what your full name was, I, I heard music in the back of my head and saw the march into the octagon. <laughs> it's perfect. So... Uh, we're going to jump all the way. I, we're going to talk quite a bit about jujitsu because, again, I've just discovered how fun and abusing it is. Um, but I really want to talk, too, about the parallels between jujitsu and skydiving mentally because there's a lot that I've discovered, and I know you have as well. Uh, but I want to jump all the way back to the beginning. And so first off, uh, where are you from originally? How did you get started in any of this, this kind of stuff? Um, yeah, I'm originally from India. Okay. But I went to high school in a place called Guam. It's, hmm. a, it's, a, it's an island north of Australia in the Pacific Ocean. It's yep. American territory. Yes. So that's where I learned English really well. That's the accent. Yeah, yeah that's where it's from. Yeah, okay. And uh, towards my senior year of high school, they uh, introduced a wrestling program. Okay. So up until then, I've been playing basketball in, in the varsity team. And then when they introduced wrestling, I tried it out. All right. From day one, I fell in love with it. I was like, it's, it's me and my hard work is going to give me my outcome. Sure. And if I work hard, I'll get the outcome I want. If I don't, I won't. And, it, and that accountability towards myself really like drew me in sure of course i loved basketball but it was a team sport and team sports are great sure there's something about that individualistic nature of wrestling that just you know captured me forever sure well with a team sport you can win or lose depending on another person's performance exactly wrestling it's you exactly and that hundred percent me factor was what kept me in wrestling all right Towards the end of my wrestling season in uh, in high school, I, I was kind of lost. I wasn't really sure what I'm going to do after high school because I always loved sports. And then a friend of mine called me to a jiu-jitsu gym. It was a purebred Guam. Okay. And then from the first class, that was it. It was February 27, 2008. Wow. I did my first ever lesson and uh, I decided I'm going to do it forever. That's awesome. Now, yeah. how, old are you, how old were you when you left to India? When I left India, I think maybe... 12? 13. 13, maybe. Okay. Wow. And to have no trace of accent, you are, I, I would have pegged you as somebody from California that's uh. just traveled a long time. <laughs> um, in the beginning, it was it was a lot of improvisation. And sure. over time, you know, you fake it till you make it, and now it's natural. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Now, Guam's a, a, a big military base, isn't it? Yes. It's a very big military base. There's a common stereotype that that's all that it is, mm. but... It's just a part of the island, you know, sure. the, the island vibes, you know, the, the, there's all kinds of cool things to do around the island. There's a whole bunch of schools. There's a couple of universities. Nice. Uh, there's a lot of entertainment spots. It's, it's a really nice place to grow up. Nice. I've actually, uh, I've got a very close friend that used to fly skydivers with me that was uh, with United Airlines in Guam. Okay. Um, and absolutely loved it. And she'd been island hopping as well. She worked uh, with me at an airline in St. Croix in the islands, in the Virgin Islands, and and then uh, traveled to the Middle East and then on to Guam. And so she's done all kinds of cool and loved it. Absolutely loved it. 
So you get into jujitsu and you find out that's for you, but was this uh, uh, something that you had dreamed about becoming a coach in training or you wanted to compete hardcore? Um, When I first started training jujitsu, I just knew that I really liked it. Mm. Uh, Then after about uh, a couple years into it, I I decided like I'm always obsessed with doing it. Even Mm. when I was in university studying and all kinds of other things, always in the back of in the back of my mind would be jujitsu. Okay. And it's normal when you grow up a certain way, you you assume that you have to get a respectable job in the sure. office and uh, you have to work <laughs> from 9 to 5 and uh, do all that stuff, but this jujitsu right. stuff is for fun. It's not really a career sure. path. Sure. So I was pursuing university in in London at the time. Oh wow. Yeah. And then I was always training. I was actually training more than I was attending classes at that time. <laughs> it's, it's just where my heart kind of, you know, like drew me. Sure. So I just kept doing that, and then uh, one day, I, this is a couple years into my career in hospitality in the Middle East, Okay. that I decided, you know what, I should try to give this jiu-jitsu thing a shot. Sure. And then I started volunteering at a gym, and then eventually I started part-timing, and then little do you know it, now I'm a full-time coach. How funny is that? Now, was hospitality what you studied in university? I studied business and marketing. It's so funny, man. I'll tell you what, and there's so many different people that I've met uh, along the the way, especially in skydiving, that have had careers and um, they've been chasing things that were so different from what they ended up doing. And uh, Omar's a good one, our mutual friend um, who was business big time. And and other people that were, I mean, from PhDs to doctor, the whole nine yards, all the way down the line that end up doing these things that are so out of the box, but they're the happiest people I know. Absolutely. Which is amazing. Now, now tell me, what does the family think of all this? What did they think when you're, I mean, you're going to university, you're in London, you're on the path, right? Yeah. That you're supposed to be on. What happens when you, you know, throw it into reverse? Um, initially they were a bit skeptical, obviously, mm. uh, because of, because of their perspective on life. Like, sure. They've seen life through their lens. And according to that lens, there's only a few ways in which you can be successful. And sure. there's a very specific definition of successful. Sure. With a certain amount of money, a certain type of car, a certain type right. of clothes, a certain status. Right. But happiness and like self-fulfillment isn't necessarily part of successful in, in that image. Indeed. It's not, it's not a, a requirement. Right. It's, if it happens, it's okay. So in the beginning, they were a bit skeptical, but then I gave them a very comprehensive, you know, look into how I was planning all my successful elements. And sure. then uh, they, they, you know, they were su- very supportive and uh, now they're very happy. Now they show off the fact that I've done a few cool things in life here and there. Sure. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that uh, um, you get on this path that requires you to have the right job and the right clothes and the right car and the right money. And maybe you're happy. Yeah. What? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. but but that's fit that's standard not just from India, that's standard from anywhere is you have these certain things that you're supposed to get and the certain things that you're supposed to want and if you're happy while that's going on, well that's a that's a plus. But I know a lot of miserable rich people. Yep. I know a lot more happy <laughs> poor people. <laughs> you know? It's all about perspective. It's right. all about perspective. You know, like, um, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Sure. Now, it's funny that you were saying that uh, um, you, when you were trying to lay out how the family would accept you changing this path, you had to be very, you know, this is, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. That's a big mentality that I've already seen in jujitsu because it's such a mental game. Yes. So uh, do you find that that's one of the reasons that you took to it so well is it's it's this re, it's this way to be very metered and puzzle things out and it's uh, I mean it's very structured. Yes. In that respect. 
Uh, one thing I'm really grateful for Jiu-Jitsu teaching me is like always thinking about the first step with the last step in mind. Mm. So you kind of already know, how, like uh, let's use chess as an example. You kind of already have an idea of how you're going to achieve the checkmate. You just have to like dial it back and start thinking of the steps to reach the checkmate, sure. right? So uh, let, let's give you an example of an armbar, mm. an armbar in Jiu-Jitsu. In the beginning of a match, you have to figure out how to take somebody down, how to pass their guard, how to get through their defenses, right. how to get through their secondary defenses, <laughs> right. and latch onto an arm, get through their tertiary defenses, and finally get the arm. Hmm. Right? And that you have to think about all that from step one to in, in the end to get to the arm bar. So sure. when trying to convince my parents about the outcome, I know what they wanted. They had very good intentions in their hearts. Sure. You know, they wanted a good future for their son and everything. So as long as I could lay out the steps that needed to be taken for it to sure. be achieved, I know that they'd be happy. And then that's how we did it. We See, just... that's very cool. Well, and it's a neat analogy that you uh, that you use as well, that you the end result is the arm bar. The beginning is how the fuck do I get there? Yeah. And of course, the end result in that was I need mom and dad to be happy and content with my choices. But right now I'm starting out fighting this battle. <laughs> and it's funny, having now been put in a couple of arm bars, having no <laughs> fucking idea how I got there. <laughs> so I can imagine your parents going, wait a second, I was going to be upset. But how do you do that? Because I'm happy with what he's done now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, and as a parent, ultimately, what I want more than anything is for my kid to be happy. Obviously, safe and secure and all those things come along with it. Uh, but I, I have a very difficult time having lived a, a alternate lifestyle myself, um, putting that on anybody else. So my kid's got it easier than anybody. So, of course, she's in, uh, an, an aspiring attorney. <laughs> she's doing exactly what the perfect parent would want, yeah, <laughs> which cool. is awesome. <laughs> and it took no twisting from me whatsoever. Um, but my parents were probably a lot like yours. They finally had to come to terms with the fact that, ah, oh, shit, he's not <laughs> going to do this the way we want. Now, so for you started out doing jujitsu, you fell in love with it. You uh, um, get through university and decide that uh, you're working hospitality in the Middle East, but you decide, nope. Jiu-jitsu is it. How does somebody go about that? I mean, even if you're talented in jiu-jitsu, there's a lot of really good people out there. So how do you go about going, all right, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, so uh, in, all, all throughout my university and my hospitality career, I was training. I was mm. training a lot. So even after 10 hours of work, I would always get in two hours of jiu-jitsu wow. every day. No matter what, just to take a double espresso get on the metro and then go to training. So that was always there because I really wanted it. Right. I'm a big believer that if you do something with enough passion for a long enough time, you're going to be good enough that people are going to be willing to pay you for your time in that particular subject. Sure. It could be whatever. It could be, you could be the best plumber in the world. You do such a good job that someone will pay you good money for you and not the other guy. Sure. So in jiu-jitsu, in the beginning, it was sort of like an internship, mm. you know, I started working for almost no money just to be able to teach and sharpen my sharpen my teaching skills sure for you know for a good amount of time and then after after teaching a few hundred students <laughs> uh, then it started being that my skills were good enough right. to warrant me as a part-time coach nice perfect so then you just keep teaching and then you're a part-time coach getting paid a little bit of money and then after teaching thousands of students <laughs> you know you put in your 10,000 hours then you get you know, valued as a good coach. And now sure. it's full time. And now I start teaching people how to teach people. 
which is awesome. Yeah. And it, this is where it kind of blends into, and we've talked about this a few times off the podcast, is the parallels between yes. uh, the world of skydiving and the world of jujitsu. Yes. Th- what you just described is note for note how most people get into skydiving. All right, fuck. <laughs> I really like this, but I have no idea how to make money doing yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to buy a camera. I can't shoot videos because I suck at it because I'm brand new. So I'm going to shoot all my friends' videos for free. And I'm going to pay for my slot. Yeah, and I'm going to yeah. go shoot their video. <laughs> now I can shoot a good enough video that I can make them buy my ticket. <laughs> yeah. And then so on. It's, and it's the same thing. It just kind of is this um, this drive for the love of it that gets you to go, I'll take whatever the hell I can get. Yes. Now, how, uh, I mean, it's got to be a tough road, though. Again, you were working hospitality. Did you transition right away? Did you walk away from hospitality or did you slowly go, all right, now I'm making enough to survive doing jujitsu that I can walk away from everything else? Yes. So my my entire volunteer period. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> my entire volunteer period, I, I had a full-time job. Okay. So I'd be, I'd be working nine hours a day at the very least and then training and teaching about two to three hours a day. Some days I'd be sleeping maybe three, four hours because there was a morning class. But it wasn't a chore because I love it so much. Sure. So it's it's not really a problem. To It's not hard to wake up when you really like to do something. Sure. Yeah, well, that's the whole very old and tired saying is if you do what you love, you never work a day in your exactly. life. Exactly. Which I believe, but uh, I don't like to use the word work because I've worked my ass off my entire adult career at something that I love doing. Yeah. Uh, and now having very, very limited experience in jiu-jitsu, there's no way that's not insane work. <laughs> Holy shit. Dude, it is so hard. <laughs> Man, it's one thing that's really interesting, uh, and it, it applies to both jiu-jitsu and skydiving. Uh, th- there's this one analogy. It's the first 20-hour analogy, right? Mm. So if you were to train something for the first 20 hours, let's, let's call it the A license of skydiving, sure. uh, your, your, uh, your, your first two months of jiu-jitsu. Mm. After that initial time, if a complete novice came up to you and watched you from, from afar, they would think you were, you were like an expert. Sure. Because that first 20-hour gap is huge. Sure. So if you train for two months and someone who never trained jiu-jitsu came and saw you roll, they'd get very intimidated. Right. Same for skydiving. When a, when, a, when a ground school student sees these AFL, oh, my God, they're building a four-way belly formation. All right. They, they, they kind of lose their mind. So this is really cool. But then from that point to the 10,000-hour point... Is a forever journey. Oh, man. The nuances, the little nuances and the differences that I see, and it's kind of funny because I've been in a number of your classes now, and, and um, again, I'm with, with uh, beginner and intermediate people. And yes. You're being spoon-fed information, and, and you guys are fantastic about going, take a break, relax, because you're watching <laughs> my heart jumping out of my throat. Uh, but it was amazing to go from uh, rolling with somebody that has almost the same experience as me, maybe just a little bit more, to someone that's got substantially more, and to realize. And again, it's just like doing a belly jump with some guy that's been jumping ten thousand jumps on his head. Yeah, you instantly go, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it now. And it was uh, it was after one of the classes that I did, and I rolled with a few people, and then I rolled with you. And it was obvious from the very first instant that literally there was nothing that I could do that you couldn't anticipate or counter. And that was in my head the entire time. So I suppose it is a lot like skydiving in that you're watching your instructor thinking, hey, I'm starting to get this. But then you take one look at your instructor and go, oh, okay, I get it. But it's super cool. The, The hard part that I see is that you get so worked physically 
but you've got to be on your mental game more than anything. Yes. How long does it take, or how long did it take you um, as you get into this? You started young, which is a benefit for sure. Yes. Um, although I think starting old for me was a benefit because the ego was taken out of it. Yeah. Um, but to go from you know a novice to being gassed instantly because you have no control over anything to feeling comfortable, what how what kind of time frame does that take? I think anywhere between the five month to one year mark, there's gonna come a week when it's gonna click that where you're gonna understand your body really well mm. to know that these are the these are my physical attributes that are an advantage and these are my disadvantage. So these are the positions that I can use easy easier than others. So I'm gonna stick to these few. Mm. So once you learn that about your your own body, your energy consumption goes way down. Sure. Because you learn how to use the tools that are best for you as an individual with your temperament, with your mobility, with your strength, with your body type. And then it gets a lot more fun. For like sure. At this moment, it's still finding out, okay, what, there's a closed guard, there's a half guard, there's an open guard. Am I good on my left side? Am I good on my right side? Am I good on passing guard? You're not really sure. Right. A, a couple of days ago, you were able to get into that flow state while passing guard. Mm. It felt maybe more natural a little bit, than, yeah. than being on your back. So that was a couple of seconds of flow state. Sure. With time, those five seconds are going to turn into 10. Those right. 10 are going to become 30. Right. Those 30 seconds are going to become a minute. And then you're going to go through a six-minute round in that flow state. That's when it gets really fun. It's got to. It has to because it's such a mental puzzle. But when uh, you're fighting between the mental puzzle and trying to breathe, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's difficult. I, I think it was uh, half a dozen classes into it before I was finally in a position where I was above a guy and just went, why are you holding yourself up? You should be mashing this guy and relaxing. And yeah. I had like a two-second window where I'm like – Oh, that's better. I can hear yep, you. Exactly. But it's, and you actually use this analogy as well. You were talking about how um, your vision is so narrow at the beginning, yes. just like in a skydive, you yes. know, uh, when you're learning how to skydive, you maybe see your altimeter, you maybe see your instructor's face, <laughs> maybe you see the signal, but not much else, you know, yeah. um, but it takes those jumps to start to expand. Uh, and speaking about skydiving, uh, how did you decide to go into making that first jump? Uh, so I had I, I had always wanted to do a tandem, mm. and I did my first tandem skydive in 2014 okay. in, uh, in Saipan, mm. an, an island near Guam. And then I thought, maybe I'll do my AFF. It's, it, it seems cool. Uh, then a few too many Friday freakout videos later. <laughs> <laughs> Note to my friend Zed, who manages those. <laughs> I said, uh, you know what? I'll just stick to other sports for now. It's All okay. Right. You know, let's, let's, let's see how it goes. All right. And then um, at a certain point, my, our, our mutual friend Omar, he he spoke to me about you know all the all the me, all the mechanics in place to make it a safe sport, mm. you know, where 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 it's it's not necessarily the sport itself, but it's the it's the user of the sport sure. that determines safe practice versus dangerous practice. And for me, that was a big ice you know icebreaker. Sure. So I was like, okay. Let's do it. It kind of takes the uh, the the if is taken out of it. A lot of that risk is taken out when you realize how much you can mitigate that risk. Absolutely, with the, with all the gear checks and 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 the and the, and the safe practices and sure. uh, and all of, and all of this we're we're taught regularly on mm. you know, especially uh, in 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 our beginning where it's it's sort of hammered into you. Sure. Safety, 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 and it's it was very refreshing to hear about that. So it just kind of to put my mind at ease. Nice. Now, how did you get to know Omar? All right, now now this story I'm gonna 
I'm gonna have to like go into the kids class a little bit. Please, please. So I've been I've been teaching kids class for a while. Uh, I teach a, a group that's five to ten years old. Mm. That's that's our that's our junior group. And you know, in this age group, it's 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 a bit challenging to get the kids to listen, to organize them, put them together, make them do the exercise well in the beginning. And sure. with with time, once they follow the program, it's it's easy because then they learn the system. Right. Uh, this this one little girl walks into my class day one. She's a bit too young for the class, but we said it's okay. Let's let's let her in. It's all good. And then from day one, she she's doing her push-ups perfectly. She's doing all the exercises perfectly. Like I'm scratching my head, looking at the coach. Like man, what's what's going on over here? Wasn't she too young for this class? And then during the technique, she asks these questions that you would expect from a 14, 16 year old. Mm. Like coach, when you were grabbing the wrist the first time, your thumb was around the wrist, but the second time you grabbed, the thumb was over. Why is that? <laughs> Had to, it just took me a second to compute. Like, oh my god, this, right? this little girl is asking me these questions. All right. Like, what's going on? So after the class, I ask her, like, honey, um, do you mind if I meet your, your mom or your dad just so I could uh, just so I can understand how how this is possible? All right. And then he said, oh, actually, yeah, my dad's upstairs. I'll I'll call him after class. And then he then she called uh, she called her dad. So that was Dunya, Omar's daughter. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, bro, uh, what book did you read to be able to uh, raise a kid like this? I, I, just, want to, I just want that manual so it's going to help me a lot in my, in my career as a, right. in the future as a parent. He's like, actually, I wrote a book. Are, would you like to read it? I'm like, man, for sure. Yeah, and that was, that was the first time I, I met Omar. Oh, yeah. that's, see, that's funny. Um, they were actually just on the podcast. Uh, um, by the time this one comes out, they will have been on the podcast a few weeks back. Okay. Uh, and Dunia is, she's a little rock star. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. She, and it's so funny because she's so precocious and she knows exactly what she wants to ask. And she will not, I had to be real PG-13 and we had to uh, behave on the podcast, but I don't on this one. She's a fucking rock star. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. She, she's absolutely awesome. And she put every single one of us, her mother, her father, and me in our places half a dozen times throughout that <laughs> podcast. Uh, she took control, uh, and I've watched her in her class in jujitsu, and she's a little badass. Yep, she's fantastic. And knowing her father, um, and especially his roots, I can absolutely see where it comes from and where she gets that. But so you you met him, and yeah. you decide you're going to start jumping. Uh, was it through his suggestion to come out and jump? And he was telling you to, about the safety and stuff. So you're yeah. like, screw it, I'm going to go get my AFF. Right, I have I have another kind of like kind of a, a funny story. That, yeah, please. That, that uh, yeah, I'll say right now. So back when I was in university in London in 2010, uh, me and my friends we used to like hang out. We used to like hang out and we used to watch TV. Sure. And we used to just w- watch all kinds of videos on YouTube and right. and, and and do whatever. So there was one video. is is It's called um, it's called skydive. It was a really cool video. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and then we we watched that video because it was really cool visually. It was amazing. So we just watched it quite a few times, you know, maybe a couple times today, a couple times the week after. It's right. just one of our favorite videos. So when I when I graduated from university, I, I, I didn't watch that video again. Okay. And then after talking to Omar, um, I, I was like, okay, oh, man, there was this old video I haven't watched in a long time. I decided to watch it again. <laughs> and then I watched it. And then it's so funny because back then I, I didn't think anything of the video. But now I personally know... Six people on that video. I said the universe is just unbelievably un- unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh, and then yeah. And then I was like, okay, now I have to do my FF. Is the universe telling me? You have to. Yeah. It, it's well, been. That's the thing. Is it's kind of funny because uh, back when I started skydiving, uh, there were a series of videos 
that were ridiculously popular in this sport. And this is, shit, 25 years ago. Um, and they were all the free fly clowns. And a guy by the name of Olaf Zipser. Yeah. Yeah. So Olaf Zipser and Omar Al-Hejilan, I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> it only took me fucking years to learn how to pronounce it properly. Um, so these rock stars are in this video. And as I'm learning how, uh, you know, I'm a 20-jump wonder watching these amazing videos. And I'm, I'm doing the two-and-a-half-hour drive from Las Vegas to Paris Valley so I can jump out of a big plane. And I'm sleeping in my buddy's trailer who's getting me baked off my ass at night and <laughs> watching these amazing videos and South Park uh, and listening to um, all the best music of the time. And they were heroes, you know? I mean, uh, just absolutely doing things that I couldn't even begin to fathom how they were doing or, or any of this stuff. And cut to a few years later, I was lucky enough to be in a nationals competition with Omar uh, competing in a different discipline. But that's, he's one of my heroes. This is a guy that I grew up, you know, watching, grew up in the sport, watching this guy do these amazing things. Um, and I got to spend very little time with him then. And not enough to call him friend, but I could say, I I met Omar. You know, I met Olav. I met Omar. I met Mike Vale. I met these amazing, you know, pioneers. And cut to all these years later, looking back at that hero worship and then to go, this is a buddy of mine. This <laughs> is just crazy. a super fucking cool crazy. guy. And it, it's uh, the reason you're sitting in this booth is the same uh, reason that uh, you ended up skydiving is because of Omar, because he got me to come to jujitsu. He was the one. He's like, hey, by the way, you're doing this class on this day. Because I had awesome. just sideways mentioned, because he told me something about a class. And I'm like, that's something I always wanted to try. And then I got a message from Omar uh, five or six days later going, by the way, you've got a, a class you're going to come to on this day. Cool, and my man. first reaction was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, man. I don't know. It's I'm getting kind of old. This is going to be hard. And then I got there and I went, all right, this is actually super, super cool. Uh, but it's really funny that you had no idea that you're you know, becoming friends with and kind of being pushed out to the drop zone. <laughs> By a guy that kind of helped create modern free-flying yeah, styles. Man, it's you know? pretty crazy when you think about it. <laughs> it's epic, right? Well, so you decide you're going to go through your AFF. How did jiu-jitsu help you in skydiving? All right. So mentally and physically, I think they're, 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 two, they're two separate aspects. Sure. So physically, um, I, obviously, I think there's a lot more body awareness and body control as compared to somebody that never did a sport. Sure. Uh, so, so in in, in jujitsu, you have to be hyper aware about where each limb is at all times, mm. and each limb has a separate job to do, and each and each limb has a brain of its own sure. in, in order to be able to do a move correctly. So when when I started my AFF, it was it was pretty. It would, I felt like it was relatively simple to mm. control all all four five limbs of mine, my two arms, two legs, and my hips. Sure. And I had, a, I had a great time there where I, I had a few peers of mine that were struggling to find, to, to, to be able to find like the right balance oh, yeah. in, in, in the air. So that's one advantage I feel. Sure. Mentally, I think it was the ability to control the fight or flight response. There you go. Yeah. I think this is the biggest carryover that I've had where in jujitsu to be like you, you felt it on your first class sure. you know on your first lesson where the, the first 10 15 20 seconds is that is that response that takes over it's where there's a huge adrenaline dump right. you tend to hold your breath your brain starts thinking like a million thoughts at a time because of all the things happening but then once you learn to kind of just like breathe out sure. and regulate your breathing and be present in the moment and be focused on what you have to do everything's all right yeah it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not something crazy. So the same in skydiving. Uh, 
I think in the AFF, the first jump is called sensory sensory overload, overload training, yeah. right? So it's it's a lot of information coming in visually, audio, all like sure. you, you, you know the sound, the, the ground coming at you, whatever. But I'm I'm happy to say I was able to be there and experience it in in a whole just simply by you know being able to be in my mind and be present in that moment, sure. which, which is what I think jujitsu gave me. Sure. I can absolutely see that. Well, that very first class that I did with you, um, I think it was not even a quarter of the way through, you used an analogy in regard to skydiving because you knew my history in skydiving. And that was a shift for me mentally really quickly because it automatically made me think, dude, you know how to fucking fight the fight or flight yeah. thing. You know? You've been doing this for 25 years. You know how to, at least mentally, maybe you're not going to be able to control your breathing and do all this other stuff, but you can separate the fact that this guy that won't stop attacking you <laughs> doesn't really want to kill you. He's teaching you stuff. Uh, but it took you saying, dude, this is like this in an AFF for that or in skydiving for me to shift gears and go, oh, no, I can handle this. Yeah. But that's really cool that you were able to take that with uh, jujitsu, especially the mental game, because it's so much more important than anything. You can teach someone physically, although the bit with jujitsu, it's so leg intensive. Like you're doing so much with your legs and with your feet, you're using them like arms. Yes. Um, Most people don't do that. And as an instructor, both in the tunnel as in an AFF instructor, the hardest thing to teach someone that's never dealt with that before is how to recognize what their legs are doing. Yeah. You know, you'll have them tell you, no, no, my legs were extended the entire time. <laughs> and you're looking at them with their legs on their ass in the video going, no, I'm sorry. That's not. So that body awareness is huge. Yeah. Well, and by the time you started doing jumping, you'd been doing jujitsu for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, so by then you kind of had that part dialed in. Absolutely. How about the canopy stuff? The canopy for me in the beginning was the biggest challenge. Yeah. Like physically, because there's nothing. Well, you know, there, there's obviously the coaches teach you a lot. Sure. And, and they and they and they do a very good job of like telling you exactly where to be at what altitude and how to how to manage everything. But you know, it's that first landing, that first time you have to flare for yourself. <laughs> right. It's you know you could rehearse it in the hangar as much as you want. Yeah. You got You got to deal with it. <laughs> Uh, that was more of a mental thing for me. So, like, to be able to breathe out and go, okay, sure. you've drilled this a bunch of times. Just do it the same. And yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. And it was all right. It was, uh, was the, um, I mean, did you, obviously, you've learned how to deal with the fight or flight and stuff like that. Did that help you cope with just the basic fear of something like jumping? I mean, because you've got the fight or flight that kicks in, but you've also got the overload where you're in this environment and you have to do shit. Uh, but did that jujitsu give you the ability to back off the fear involved in fuck me? I'm thirteen thousand feet off the ground, or when the parachutes open and there's no longer a coach there and you're hanging under a yeah. harness, going Jesus, <laughs> I gotta do this. I, I think absolutely. I think. Uh, l- let me give you a jujitsu example, please. So in class we teach a we teach a whole bunch of techniques. We teach a whole bunch of safety safety mechanisms that we have in place to be injury free, risk free. But in sparring, there's going to come a time where there's a person mounted on top of you with their shoulder smothering your face, with, with your arms all blocked, where it's just you in your mind space, where it's like, uh, it's like a very dark place that you have to go to. And everybody goes through it. Sure. It's not a big deal. But then you have to logically think your way to undo all the things that were done to be able to escape and breathe safely. Sure. Right? Sure. So I think like once, you, once you're able to overcome that like this physical and mental discomfort where you're really suffocating... But you just kind of think, okay, if I just close my elbow a little bit, if I move my head to the side a little bit and I wiggle a little bit to my left, I can breathe a bit. Sure. And then I wiggle a bit more, I can breathe a bit more. Sure. And now maybe if I roll, I can escape. 
So to be able to think clearly in those moments, I think gave me a lot of a lot of help to be able to think clearly and overcome my 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 fears, especially in the air. Which so, is awesome. Yeah, it was funny because it was something that you had actually said in. One probably the first lesson uh, in regard to if you're in this position, just tap because yeah. you're oh, not going to yeah, fix yeah. this. But you can be in this position where this guy's trying to choke you, but you don't necessarily have to tap right away because maybe your chin's in a good position. Your neck's turned the right way. You've got a shoulder here, so you need to assess. Yes. And that actually kicked in in one of the sparring sessions that I had cool. where I'm like, all right, this guy's – I'm not going to beat this guy, but I don't have to quit right now. I'm good here. Yes. And that panic just instantly went away. Because at first you're like, fuck me. This large man is trying to choke me out. And then I realized, wait, no, I can breathe. I'm okay here for now. And I think you were even actually standing above me. And I kind of gave you a wink like, I'm okay for now. <laughs> <laughs> it's super cool to be able to do that. And, and uh, um, it's amazing that... I don't think it's surprising, but it's amazing what a wonderful tie-in those two sports yes. have. There really is. And from the outside, I never would have thought that jiu-jitsu was such a mental game. But it's more mental than physical as far as I can see. I think so. It really is, which is so cool. That's one of the things that seems to me to be the most attractive is the puzzle of it. You know, I don't necessarily have any desire to have a grown man sweat on me. In fact, it was it was a funny thing. It was a joke that I said to uh, uh, to Sherry, Omar's wife. We had just finished rolling in this last session, and I was rolling with a guy that has longer hair. And at some point during that rolling, one of his hairs got in the back of my throat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I walked over to her, and I'm like, it's been years since I've had to dig hair out of the back of my throat while being sweated on. And she starts <laughs> dying laughing. <laughs> And of course, then I'm like, yeah, but it's from a you know 85 kg guy. <laughs> but it was it was really funny. But the mental game was so fun to it, um, and that's what has kept me going back for sure. Because physically, fuck me, I've walked away a little tired, a whole lot sore. <laughs> Man, and uh, it it only gets better from here. You for know? sure, it's uh, I think I've talked to you about this, like the four stages of learning. You know, mm. like uh, we said earlier, and the first one is. Uh, Inconscious, unconscious incompetence right. is where you're doing a whole bunch of things wrong. You don't know what you're doing wrong, but you're doing things wrong. Right. And then comes a stage of conscious incompetence <laughs> where you know, ah, oh, man, I should have kept my elbow a bit more closed. I should have moved at the right time or whatever. And then comes stage three, conscious competence. This mm. is a really good time where when, when you do something right, you recognize what you did right. And of course, when you do something wrong, you recognize what you did wrong. And right. you're able to visualize these things over and over again and correct them without having to actually train. Sure. And then comes a stage where you're going to get there in a, in a couple of years is unconscious competence. Right. We start, we start kind of like on the go innovating things that are correct. We don't know exactly what you did, but it was right. Right. And that's 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 uh, that's that's a beautiful stage. That's and it, it, I mean it's it's envious too because you can watch obviously you and some of the guys that are at the gym that we go to that are just insane. I mean yeah. it's talent that's it, it's almost uh, unfathomable at the point that I'm at. I just watch it and I'm like that's just not cool. How good this is, but it's so fun to watch. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask. Uh, I, I kind of skipped over it. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's Jiu-Jitsu, and then Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a spinoff of it? All right. So this is where a lot of people get confused because you know, of, of the names and the, and the differences. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu are completely different from each other. Okay. Okay. So the sport that we currently train is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. All right. Uh, so back in the day, there, there's, a, there, there's a whole documentary about it. Uh, 
there were there, there was there was a few there was a few members of a family called the Gracie family, <laughs> you know that 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 were that were able to learn what we now know as judo, in Brazil. Okay. And and then they they sort of innovated the sport and then they 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 modified it and they made it their own and then they they added and added and modified techniques to what we now know as jiu-jitsu. Now over the years, it's greatly evolved. Hmm. Before it was purely a martial art for for self defense purposes, for purposes to win a fight. Mm. Over time, it's become a sport. Mm. There's a, there's a duality to it. There, it's a sport and a martial art. Now the martial art aspect is you know the combat and all this. The sport aspect is there's competitions, mm. there's points, which was crucial for the growth. To be able to have something on such a large scale, it it needs to be like done the way it is right now. Sure. For something to be purely uh, as a martial art, it doesn't catch on as quickly with the masses. Mm. And uh, that's, that's that's why what we do now is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Back in the day, the samurais used to do ja- what is called Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And, uh, the, you know, they, they have various striking techniques. They have various disarming techniques. They have some arm locks. They have some other other body locks as well. But it's completely different from what you and I do. Now, the, the Jiu-Jitsu, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that you see nowadays... Has it um, influenced what we know as uh, mixed martial arts, or yes. has it been the other way around, or both? I think both. Because from, uh, and again, I'm speaking a very limited vocabulary, especially when it comes to MMA. But m- I think most of what I've seen in MMA, if it's not you know stand up boxing, it's what I now visualize as Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yes. So in the early 90s, there was a huge revolution with the UFC. Sure. So uh, the oldest son of, of one of the founders of, of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Helio Gracie, mm. he's a founder. His his oldest son, Horian Gracie, started something called the UFC. Mm. And in the and in this UFC tournament was one of his, one of his younger brothers, Hoist Gracie, yeah. who was the Jiu-Jitsu guy, the representative of Jiu-Jitsu. In, the rock in, star. <laughs> yeah, back in that day. And there was a whole bunch of people from other martial arts. There was uh, there was a couple of guys from karate. There was there was a wrestler. There mm. was a, there was a judoka. There was a sumo wrestler, and there was Hoist Gracie. Mm. And you know history, as you know it right now, Hoist Gracie was able to dominate back in those days with his jujitsu, with with it, with his knowledge of chokes and positions and arm locks and stuff. And that's when jujitsu sort of sh- shot up. Sure. Well, because uh, I mean, and again, limited uh, knowledge. I can't think of any UFC guy that without at least a solid base in oh, yeah. Brazilian jiu-jitsu would do good at all. Uh, in today's day and age, you need to be sharp in 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 all the aspects, in in striking, in jiu-jitsu, in wrestling, in 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 all of the above. So it- crazy. <laughs> We, I actually mentioned to you uh, the last time we were in a class together that uh, the gym that we go to, which is Team Noguera, yes. uh, which is an awesome gym, uh, is the most polite place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> and I am more polite there than anywhere else on earth. And it's for a, a couple of reasons. One, because I respect what's going on and I respect um, being a student again and learning. But the other one is walking in that gym and pretty much being sure that every person I look at could beat my ass. <laughs> and it's very cool because uh, um, everybody just shows a level of respect that uh, I think gets overlooked in most places these days. And you had said something funny, too, that it's always entertaining when somebody comes into a place like that with attitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, we, we always get a few of those. Sure. Uh, in general, it's, it's, uh, our, 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 that entire, the entire vibe of that place is very respectful because you get out all the aggression on a daily basis sure. with, with 100% intensity. 
every day. There, sure. there, there's, there's no built-up energy. There's no need to, to, <laughs> right. to, to display aggression because if you want to be aggressive, just do it in the class at 100% right. with no holds barred. It's perfectly fine and it's what we encourage. Right. Right? Once in a while, we'll, we, we get people who come in with a bit of a chip on their shoulder without any knowledge of, of how to actually <laughs> how to guide their aggression. So we, right. we, we get a few of these. Uh it's, it's quite easy to sort that out. <laughs> sure. Well, and that's where I said that I think my age played a really uh, beneficial part for me in walking in the door without that ego realizing yeah. I know nothing and I'm going to make sure everyone yeah. knows that. Um, it's got to be kind of funny, though, too, because uh, I've been told by a couple of different people that somebody like me, potentially on the mat, I'm one of the most dangerous people there because I'm too stupid to know how to not hurt somebody if I'm in the position to do so. Or even that I'm in the position to do so. I kind of just stumble my way into a good spot. <laughs> you know, I think we can use a comparison of a, of a fresh AFF student, mm. but not yet a licensed student, right? So, yes, you, you, you know the basics. You know, how to, you know how to kind of, you know, f- fall into some positions, escape some positions, do some submissions. It's very good. But then when it comes to track away and pull... right. Maybe you don't have the best track yet. Maybe right. you don't. You know, it's just <laughs> so that's why you have to do your. You have to do your. You have to. Us coaches are always a bit more hyper aware about about the about the new people, just sure. to make sure that they're safe. Sure. And the people rolling with them are safe, just to be there to give advice. So that's why you'll always see whenever it's you know at this moment you or some of the newer people. There's always going to be a coach hovering next to you during during sparring. Well, and it's always. nice to see that as well. Well, um, one of the guys that uh, that I rolled with last week, is, as a matter of fact, the guy whose hair I was eating, <laughs> uh, got me in an arm bar, but he realized he had me yes. and was backing off before I even knew what was happening. Absolutely. Um, and I got up from that going, oh, yeah, he he released that grip before I tapped yes. because I didn't realize how fucked I was until after that had happened. And, and that's where that knowledge comes in because I wouldn't have, had I been the reverse, I wouldn't have known to back off as quickly as yeah. he did. Um, but that was funny too because the very first time you and I trained together, you put me in a practice arm bar and I didn't know to tap. <laughs> I didn't even think. And you stopped and went, dude, are you okay? You can tap. Because <laughs> I didn't even have that down yet. So it's really cool to see... Um, people of different levels just like coaching and skydiving yeah. and uh, you have these different levels and mentors and people that are kind of watching out for someone Omar yes. does that quite a bit as well yes uh, but he also comes to watch Dunia train and helps out as a, as a dad yeah, too that's 100%. super cool now uh, with jujitsu, is it still um, often humbling for you I mean do you roll with guys that you're like fuck <laughs> you know I'm, I'm I'm truly blessed that at this moment once in a while there comes in a, a world champion mm. Right, and uh, I've rolled with quite a few of them, and each one has a has a has a gem to offer in terms of technique. There are some positions which they've honed to such a, a a fine detail that to be able to see that much thought in a singular position mm. is really humbling. How how deep is their knowledge in 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 their part in in their topic of expertise? Sure, it's it's unbelievable. And then you, I guess this applies to every sport. The more you learn. The more you realize how much there is left to learn. Oh yeah! Like the so like the deeper you go, that you realize the ocean, how much deeper it goes. Sure, sure. Well, and that's the biggest parallel to skydiving is, and and every amazing skydiver I know will say the same thing: is the moment I think I know it all, it's time to quit. Oh, yeah, because that's when you're fucked. 
You know, um, and that's the advice that a lot of the jumpers, um, every time I wrap up a podcast, especially with a, a high experienced jumper, somebody that's been in competitions and all that, what advice do you give? And, and the answer is always find something new to learn. Find something yeah. you're not good at yes. and go learn, which is so cool. It's one of the reasons that I've had enjoyed the classes so much is because I know nothing. And it's so fun to be a student again, realizing, oh, there's so much more to learn, yeah. you know, but it's the same with skydiving as well. Now, um, do you have aspirations for big time competition with jujitsu, or you're happy to continue on as you do, or you want to do a mix of both? Or um, I've I've competed quite a bit over the last thirteen years, um, and I am going to compete maybe in a, in a few months. Cool. Uh, so whenever there's a there's a nice competition that gets announced that I'm excited for, I put in my schedule eight to twelve weeks of of hard training, and then I go sign up and compete. It's a uh, man. That's got to be intense. It's it's an amazing learning tool. Has to be. Yeah. It has to be. I mean, I know what a little bit of competition is like, and I know what it's like to go up against other skydivers to some degree in that competition. But when it is one-on-one with another person who you know is giving their all, and you can feel it. I mean, you feel that strength, and you feel the movement and the power and everything. Oof. That's intense. But You know, I've, I think that with, with the right amount of preparation for, for your level of competition, it's all about being able to do what you are best at doing and being able to present your best self in that moment on that day. That, nice. is, that is the biggest challenge. You know? Nice. Of course, when you first start competing, maybe let's say your first competition, it's common that you're only able to put out 40% of your best self because mm. of the nerves, the stadium, the people around, the, the anxiety, the nervousness. But then after a couple of competitions, you're able to put out 80% of your best self. Sure. And then comes a time when you can really put out your best version of your best physical self on the mat. It's got to be amazing. Oh, absolutely. Once you can hit that flow state where it's no more mind, it's just reactions. Sure. That's where is the, the like the sweet spot. Well, you you would use that as well, uh, talking about no, no longer having to think about this movement or that movement. It just happens, and it's very much the same in skydiving. You no yeah. longer think, I have to do this, this, and this to make that happen. Yeah. You just think, do this, do that, and it becomes that easy. You don't even have to think about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, now, in regard to skydiving, so you've been jumping for, what, a couple of years now? Yes. And your coach is fucking Omar. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Man, really lucky. You know, gratitude. That's the word. That's the word of the day. Right. Gratitude. Right. Um, what uh, what kind of stuff are you working on in skydiving? Uh, at the moment, I'm working on trying to trying to be good at head down. Okay. Yeah. So I've you know, we we spent all of last season working on on head up, uh, sit flying, stand flying, did a couple of cool layouts and stuff. Uh, now we're tr- starting to learn about uh, the, the head down orientation. I was able to. Do a decent amount of work in the past over the past couple of months. Nice, uh, and ho- and uh, hopefully in the next few months I can do a bit more and uh, get more comfortable into it. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, uh, Omar was the king of head up. Yeah, I mean that's his thing. Oh gee, oh dude. I <laughs> oh mean, gee. Again, I I don't know if you've had a chance to watch some of the old videos of the shit that he used to do. Yeah. He actually recreated one of his iconic jumps a while back where yeah. he was jumping in jeans with the red rig. Yeah, I've seen that one. So I got to fly that load. Uh, of his recreation, but I remember watching that very first video, as so many people listening did, watching this iconic jump or, or the photos of him sitting zen cross-legged, yeah. you know, in the in the proper pose and all this really cool stuff that he that he did, uh, and uh, being able to you know jump forward to help that recreation jump and going. Jesus Christ. In fact, I was walking to the plane and I saw him standing there in jeans with the rig and no shirt Man. on and freaked out. I'm like, 
holy shit I, that's I, cool i, I kind of just got a little hard there what the fuck <laughs> it was amazing you know i'm like Man. that's incredible to be able to watch that and the fact that he's still going so hard yeah. I mean, the, the guy is still just a fantastic rock star. Oh, man, 100%. Uh, and uh, extremely giving in what he does, which is, uh, makes it even more amazing. And he's a lot of fun to learn from. You know, uh, we, we, earlier we were talking about um, not not even thinking. Like, when you watch him fly, <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's just happening. Yeah. There's no, there's no thought or effort that goes into those movements. Nope. There's this, there's this movement happening, and it's like a pure flow. Yep. Flow with the go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the 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 cool and humbling things about this sport for sure. For me, is I've I've been lucky enough to, you know, sit in the gallery watching some of the world's best tunnel flyers performing in front cool. of me. And again, I'm 25 years and I don't know, a little over 10,000 jumps into the sport. So you would think I kind of know what's going on right up until I'm sitting there watching a truly talented tunnel flyer or free flyer, and I can't break down what they're doing to make these things happen, or the movements are so subtle that you literally can't make it out. And that's when that's just next level. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Well, and it's 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 also, it's really cool to watch too, because I don't care if I ever get there. It would take more than I'm willing to put into it, which makes it even that much more special because I watched this going, they were willing to push yeah. that hard to get there. So they deserve every bit of this. And uh, uh, it went from, uh, I hate to use the word jealousy, but I suppose it was jealousy that these people are being able to do these amazing things to just being in awe. And jealousy kind of went out the window because I'm like, no, they they deserve every bit of this. It's got to be the same with jujitsu too. It has to be. A hundred percent. Whenever you see someone like Lucas Lepre do a nice knee cut guard pass, it's the most simple thing in the world. We, it's, it's taught at every single gym in this world. Mm. But the finesse and effortlessness that it's done with when he does it is something it's hard to put into words. Right. There's like an intangible thing there where everybody does it. Everybody teaches it. But when he does it, you just want to press replay and watch it over and over again. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's some beautiful sequences. That, yeah. So it's exactly like that. When yeah. you watch, so, let's say, someone like Leandro Lowe do his guard passing style. Oh, my God. I There's been a few videos of his that I've watched in a row at least like 50 60 70 times just to just to visualize what is going on in this moment and it's so beautiful yeah yeah well it, because it's so subtle and it's so finesse and it's so refined yeah 100% like holy shit and it's again it's the same as as watching someone that's amazing in skydiving someone that's a, a amazing at sky surfing or freestyle or whatever yeah. the the uh, discipline might be and watching somebody that it's truly good at what they're doing and i guess it doesn't even need to be jujitsu or skydiving it's anything if you watch yeah. someone that's just that good at what they do I mean, I suppose that's one of the reasons the the um, videos that pop up on Facebook and Instagram of people that cut fish an yeah. amazing way or do anything that someone does with that level of competence and art artists, you know, yeah. they're just amazing. You, you can find that art in 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 expertise in everything. Right. Like a, a good sushi chef cuts a piece of salmon at the right angle. Man, it looks it looks so good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's amazing to watch someone that just is not only that good at it but clearly has a passion yeah. for it. And that's that's one of the things that's really cool, especially about somebody like Omar that's been doing it for so fucking long yeah. and it's still clear that he has that passion for it, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, and I mean, I still do to some degree, obviously I'm in the, still in the sport for 25 years, but, uh, the jumping, the way that he does and how much joy he still takes out of it is just, it's awe inspiring. It really is. It, it is. And it, and it rubs off it, the, like the energy, the energy in the jump, the energy in the room 
it it definitely rubs off when he's there. For sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you've not had the chance to travel much when it comes to skydiving, have you? Uh, last year, I was able to jump in Seville, in okay. Skydive Spain, and in Puya Brava. Oh, nice. So you've actually been to a, a yeah. good proper big drop zone. Yeah. Because we were talking before the podcast about the whole uh, bonfire chat thing and, yeah. and the fact that this is kind of designed to be like someone walking in and over overhearing a, a good bonfire chat. But you've not had a good drop zone blowout. Not yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully someday. Man. <laughs> Obviously, uh, living in the time of COVID, this year was definitely not going to be the one. Yeah. But uh, um there's there's so many amazing events and stuff and and you you talk about like you know Summerfest in Scott of Chicago and and the Couch Freaks Boogie and you just can't it's one of those things where you don't even have to be jumping just the vibe alone and the energy you get off of these people and these skydivers you just sit and shake your head and go holy shit can't wait man hopefully next year yeah now speaking of how did uh, how how did COVID treat you I mean obviously it couldn't have been too good for jujitsu because uh, talk about no social distancing. Um, yeah, so obviously it was a very challenging time uh, for, for training and, and, and for work, obviously, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I had a couple friends of mine so where we agreed, where, where you know we live quite close to each other, where we, we just sort of set up mats and we agreed that we're going to be uh, quarantining with each other. Nice. So, and we were able to just train with each other. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the same as training in a, in a, in a, in a full-fledged gym, but we're able to work on specific subjects of our training and do a lot of, you know, cool stuff. So can't complain, man. Training was training was decent. A lot of meditation, a mm. lot of a lot of yoga at home. Well, you know, sure, that kind of stuff. A lot of workouts at home, and uh, we were able to get through it. It was it was it was uh, it was all right. Nice, nice. Now, yeah, obviously, you can't do a whole lot of skydiving on the couch. Yeah, no. uh, unfortunately, yeah. yeah, we we definitely couldn't do much of that. <laughs> the the lockdown was not nearly as kind to a lot of skydivers. <laughs> it was like the uh, the never ending weather hold. People just losing their minds. Uh, now, in regard to uh, jujitsu, and I know we've talked a lot about that on the podcast. Um, somebody that's listening decided uh, because they were listening to us that hey, I kind of want to give this a shot. Um, and they decide that they're going to do it, but maybe they need to work on flexibility or strength and stuff. What kind of things can somebody do before they hit that gym to be a little bit more prepared for what's coming at them when it comes to jujitsu? All right. Now, um, when it comes to the fitness needed in jujitsu, I think there there is no specific fitness program you need to follow to be able to do it because in the act of doing it is when you'll develop it. Mm. Now, something like a, if, if you're able to do some basic calisthenics, like a few push-ups, a few pull-ups, and a couple of squats, I think that's pretty much the, the minimum requirement. You are good to go. Now, that being said, the, the more flexible you are, mm. the better it is for you. The stronger you are, the better it is for you. So it's, it's going to be more of an advantage, but it's not a necessity sure. to be able to do that. Uh, so the, the best thing I can say for someone thinking about training jiu-jitsu is go train jiu-jitsu right here, right now. Nice. Right away. Nice. Like the faster you do it, the sooner you're going to realize that you have all the tools necessary to be able to do it safely. And with time, your tools will expand as a result of doing it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny because I was talking to Omar's wife and I was joking about uh, um, how I can, you know, swim for days and never yeah. get out of breath, but I'm gassed three minutes rolling on yeah. the mat. And she actually brought up a good point that I hadn't thought of is that jujitsu is great training for long distance swimming because all that sprinting and that, yeah. that, you know, that getting gassed on the mat is how I'm training cardio wise. There's no cardio training for jujitsu, <laughs> but jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. Which 
was a little bit disheartening because holy shit, it's the first time literally in more than a dozen years that I've had to hold up my hand because I couldn't speak. <laughs> Which is amazing, you know. I mean, I used to think that I was in good shape, you know, and and uh, and then I'm I'm so gassed I can't speak, <laughs> and I've I've had half a dozen people go, "Dude, you okay?" <laughs> it's a great feeling, isn't it? <laughs> it is. No, it, it really is. It's it, it's kind of nice to know that you can get to that point again that you're just so completely destroyed. Uh, and also learning that most of that is my fault because I'm I'm hitting the gas pedal too hard in yeah. one spot, and uh, but it was it was interesting to to come to the realization that you can't train for that kind of cardio except to do that kind of stuff. Um, The strength training I think would be a good idea, but you actually had a great suggestion uh, for me because I relied too much on my strength was lift before you come to class because then you can't rely on your strength to get out of shit you shouldn't be able to get out of. Yeah. Which is great. It's great information. So for all you uh, meatheads out there that are picking up heavy shit all the time and you want to go do (laughs) jujitsu, it's not going to be as big a benefit as you might think. (laughs) Yeah. Lifting weights is awesome once you really learn how to use it. Right. Right. So in, in, in the beginning stages, like during your AFF, right. if, you, if you use too much strength, it's like pressing on the gas with the handbrakes on. <laughs> right. Kind of like, right. you know, yeah. But eventually, once you unlock yourself, it's going to be a huge asset. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, it's another parallel between the two is I always used to use this with my uh, AFF students, especially the bigger guys. Uh, I said, uh, the wind doesn't give a damn about how much you can bench press. You're never going to be stronger than the wind. And it's one of the reasons that uh, primarily the female students that I had over the years were better AFF students than men, because men want to try and muscle stuff out, women finesse it out. Um, And it takes a lot to be able to shift that gear and go, no, you're not going to curl your way out of this. You need to figure out how to finesse it, which is jujitsu. Yep. Big time. Yep. 100%. Super. Super cool. Now, uh, if people want to learn how, I know that the organization you work for has clubs all around the world. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I, I work for Team Noguera, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a full-time coach there. We have, uh, we have kids programs, adult programs. Uh, if anybody out here is listening, I think the best time to go train is right now. Nice. It's uh, not even tomorrow, like this afternoon or this evening. Uh, if, if you ever want to come train with me, my name is Ricky Route. Come look me up, Team Noguera. Ricky Route, you can't you can't forget that name. You can't. Now, uh, tell me briefly about uh, Team Noguera. I mean, this is a famous name. Yes. Um, where where does this name come from? So it was founded by the Noguera brothers, uh, wh- whose name you might have heard. They are both UFC fighters. Yes. Um, they are both legends of the sport from uh, from back in the days of Pride and and like you know OGs. Mm. Uh, my jujitsu coach Rafael Hubbard, in partnership with with them. Uh, that's where I work right now. They they opened the gym here, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. It's, awesome. uh, it's it's awesome to be part of such a great family where we have so many superstars coming in, going out, being able to learn from the best in the world at different points in time, and sure. absorbing some of their knowledge and being able to share it with so many people. It's really cool. Well, it's been it's been very cool too. Sitting on the mat and having somebody tap me on the shoulder and go, "Hey, that guy right over there, he's number eight, and this guy's this," and I'm like, "Oh Jesus, <laughs> holy shit!" And then you see the move and go, "Okay, I see yeah. it, I see it." Uh, and it's really it's very very cool to be able to take it off the TV screen and put it in front of you and start to figure out, "Oh, okay, it's so much more." Again, I, I've said it a dozen times, so much more of a mental game than I ever thought it was. Um, which impresses me. That's one of the reasons I think it's as fun as it is. You know, you know one really cool, like one really cool thing, and it's, it's really cool to see as a coach, is the 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 people I see come in like as brand new people. I, I've been able to see quite a few generations of students 
So the same people now that are, let's say, purple or brown belts that the new people are looking at and saying, wow, these guys are, are, are so, so, you know, so advanced, whatever. I was there when they were learning how to front roll. How cool is you that? Know, so it's so cool to see the evolution of the same individual physically and technically and, and mentally and then to see that. And then to see these new people come in it's like, just give us some time, buddy. Sure. You're going to be there. You're going to be the one in, in no time that the other people that are, that are coming in and looking at you are going to get motivated themselves. And it's same like in skydiving. Like yeah. the, the seniors, not necessarily the coaches, but the senior skydivers all act as mentors sure. to the newer people. The same way you see the brown belts act as, act as, me, as mentors to the purple and blue belts. Sure. You see the blue belts act as mentor to, to all the newer people. Sure. So, you know, it's it's uh, really cool to see the evolution of people and how the new and the and the more experienced people interact with each other. And It seems like uh, um, jiu-jitsu has the same tie with the community as skydiving does. Yes. Um, and is jiu-jitsu as small a community as skydiving? Because skydiving is a pretty teeny community, really, when it comes down to it. Jiu-jitsu, uh, I'd say, is probably bigger overall. I think globally... Yes, yeah. uh, the the, the jujitsu community is way bigger, or not? I, I, I don't know if it's the right word to use. Way bigger, but it's it's quite bigger than skydiving sure. because the number of people that do it, I like in in my in my perception, is a lot more than huge, the, than, yeah. than, than, than skydivers. Yeah. There's there's a lot more gyms in a city than there are drop zones. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, so. Now, is the uh, you've had an experience with both? Granted, uh, a little bit more limited with skydiving just because you haven't traveled as much. Yeah. But the community is a huge tie in skydiving, yeah. and I, I'd imagine it's got to be the same in jujitsu. You know, like, like you said, the, the the whole bonfire vibe, right? Like some of the best times I've had is after a good training session where you always kind of hang out and chat shit for for like an hour or so and just. Uh, Sometimes it's not even about jujitsu. Sure. You know, we, we just talk and hang out. And some of my best friends are from jujitsu. And uh, it's, it's, it's really a good time. It's yeah. It's really a good time. And wherever you go in this world, it's all it's the same. Which is awesome. At every gym you go to, after a good heart training, everybody sits down. There's a few that stay back and just, you know, just have a good conversation. And then you can pick up some tips. You can, you can share some tricks that you have. Sure. And you end up becoming friends and going to dinner with the same people all the time. <laughs> right. That's one of the cool things that I noticed, too, is I walked in the first couple of times that I was rolling with somebody that I didn't know. You're intimidated and you don't know how good they are, how bad you are, or vice versa. <laughs> and you finish up giving each other a high five going, hey, you did good on this. You did good on that. And it, it, you walk away from it going, all right, I don't feel nearly as bad as I did before this started. It's not even a boost of confidence. It's a boost of comfort. Yep. Which is huge. Uh, and it's the same thing with the whole bonfire thing in skydiving, although I'd say that uh, after the day of jumping involves probably a lot more beer and other <laughs> chemicals in a drop zone than after a good session in a, in a jiu-jitsu gym. <laughs> yeah, that – well, you'd be surprised <laughs> how many jiu-jitsu people are party people. I might be. I might be. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, you work hard, you play hard, so yeah. – and more power to them. Yeah, yeah. As long as you can show up on the mat and be able to do what you got to yeah, do, you know, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot harder to train jiu-jitsu with a hangover <laughs> than Oh, the man. I took all of August dry. I decided I wasn't going to drink at all for the okay. month because I definitely, like everybody else, drank way too much over quarantine. Uh, and after the first night of drinking, I think I ended up probably drinking a bottle of wine to myself. And the next day had class. Okay. <sighs> yeah. How was that experience? Not, not <laughs> nice. Not nice. I could feel the the wine coming out of my pores. <laughs> on the mat. I'm like, this is not good. Not good for stamina at yeah. all. What my age, I can't be doing that shit. <laughs> 
challenge. All right, so one last time, uh, give me a website um, that they can go to to find out about Team Nougat, whether it's uh, uh, well, wherever they are in the world. Uh, so is it just teamnougat.com? Uh, so it, there, there's a whole bunch of websites. Uh, wherever you are, just go Team Nogera near me, and then and then you'll you'll find one one of them, and then you're good to go. Awesome, awesome. And if you're anywhere near the the Middle East and you want to come train, it's Ricky Route. Yes, sir. On the mat, get uh, humbled and have a good time all at the same time, <laughs> and then go out and make some jumps. Ricky, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come and sit down and talk to me. This was super interesting. Thank you for having me, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. Blue skies and take care. <laughs> you too, sir. See ya. All right, super interesting edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, skydiving and jiu-jitsu and all kinds of cool stuff and how it all ties together. As always, brought to you by the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Mag. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine if you don't already. You can check out all their cool swag, send in those amazing photos that you know you've got, those article ideas, write them up and send them your way, send them their way, and if you've got anything you want to add, Advertise, Blue Skies is the way to go. Also, Pussfoot.com, an extreme sports enthusiast collective with amazing shit you have to see for yourself. So don't even think about it. Just head to Pussfoot.com. For me, I am the fucking pilot. You can find me at thefuckingpilot.net, as always, where you get links to this and every other podcast I've done, as well as both the books I've written. That's The Fucking Pilot Book and The Accidental Stripper, available in digital and print. Thank you so much. We will see you next time.